This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. tuning into Power Athlete Radio. We are back with part two of our interview with Elite FTS founder and CEO, Dave Tate. This second part kicks off with Dave discussing his history of injury and what he attributes his joint issues to. Hear what he did to rehabilitate coming back from several major surgeries and John's thoughts on how to ensure your body holds after adjustments and physical therapy. John also discusses what it's like to get his hip aspirated with a hammer and chisel from Home Depot. Then we touch on the pros and cons of playing in the NFL, the pros being hard to recall because of the concussion-induced memory loss. Finally, what it really means to be a yes man, how to see and create opportunities for yourself every day. Hear what Dave has coming up this year and how you can stay connected with all things Elite FTS. Part two with Dave Tate is right meow. Dave, you know, we had a... uh... We had somebody ask on our forums, um, he wanted to ask you, uh, he wanted to talk about your hip replacement. Mm -hmm. And so he asked that knowing that you had a full hip replacement, if there was anything that you would have done differently early on in your career, you know, to prevent needing this hip replacement, um, or is that something that you, is just kind of come to be expected when you're competing at such a high level? I don't, I don't think it's something that's come to be expected. Um, there's, there's three main factors that play in any joint replacement, and I, I still need my other hip and my shoulder replaced. So genetics are all, always going to be the first one. So from that standpoint, I have no say. The only thing that I did is through the, the other two, I expedited when I was going to have the hip replacement from being 70 years old to 46 or 45 or however I was at the time. Um, so genetics are the first the first main factor, and that's why all my joints have arthroarthritis and issues and all kinds of problems. The second biggest factor with that is I've weighed over 270 pounds since I was uh, 18 years old, pretty much all the way until I was 45. So... That plays its role because every time you're taking a step, every time you move, you know, the weight that your shoulder has to hold just when your arm is that big, um, all is wearing and tearing on the joint. How tall are so, you, Dave? 5'11". Uh, okay. Now, the, the third factor would be how you train. So the third factor is really, the from the way it was explained to me, from the doctors I went to, the, the most minimal factor, because if that was the biggest factor, my back would be 10 times more fucked up than what it is. Because typically okay. that's what's going to get destroyed the worst from anybody that does, you know, the powerlifting or, or what we do. Is there anything that I would have changed? I don't even know what I could have changed. I do know that when I started to become symptomatic, I should have gotten an MRI and x-rays immediately because the lesson that I learned throughout the whole thing is a joint of a 40-year-old 
is not the same as a joint of an 18 year old. So while that joint's getting tight and you're tight and you're tight and you're thinking and you're thinking, I need to do that. So I'm doing all these fucking leg swings and all this shit for say 300 reps before every workout four times a week, 1,200 reps a week. I later find out I'm bone on bone. Ugh. Oh. So all that's doing is just grinding it down. It's like son of a bitch. I just Shearing. killed two years. Yeah. You know, I just sheared the shit out of it because yeah. I was too stupid Jeez. to go in and, and see what the actual real issue is. Instead, that's what drives me nuts when people just blindly say, oh, you have joint problems. Do this, do this, do this. It really fucking matters what's going on in that joint before yeah. you can even begin to make any diagnostic or diagnosis because mobility would be great if it was tendon, ligament, or muscle and the joint's healthy. That's going to help. That's going to be huge. If you're yeah. bone on bone, that's going to just grind the shit out of what's in there. So when I read this crap online, I'm like, dude, you have no fucking idea who's reading this, who you're targeting to. Because the same answer, you can't apply the same answer to the same joint. Um, now, granted, most of my life I never did warm-ups and I never did mobility work, so I can't blame it on that. Um, I just Our warm-up work was squatting. So I would do 20 sets of squatting with the bar before I worked up. I never Yeah, just pyramiding up. Yeah, it never made sense to me to do fucking doggy kicks or any stupid shit. That that to me was stupid. You know, I would rather start squatting on a twenty inch box if I'm really tight, just body weight squats. Yeah. And just take yeah. twenty sets to work up because what's more specific? Yeah, there's not yeah, there's you can't really argue with that, especially when it comes to like specifically training powerlifting. I mean, that's that's not a unique school of thought, like limited warm-up yeah. and train that movement pattern. Yeah, now if I, if I was working with an athlete or somebody who was going to be a multi-movement uh, plane, I, they're totally different, you know, yeah. but we're talking sagittal plane here. That's it, you know. Yeah. We don't operate out of that plane. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have changed anything except for when I became symptomatic, Getting getting the diagnosis instead of trying to figure it out for myself, you know, and guess what the problem was, that would have been the difference. I should have approached it the same way I did my shoulder many, many years ago, and that needs replaced as well. But as soon as I found out it needed replaced, it was bone on bone, and I was able to change everything as far as my training and how I train. The difference between my shoulder and my hip is I don't walk on my hands, so the hip's going to obviously wear out faster and become, it became an issue, I had no choice. And anybody who, usually from what I can tell, anybody who asks this type of question or has hip pain or you know thinks they may need a hip replacement, my answer for that is very, very simple. You will absolutely 100% know when it's time for you to get it done. Mm -hmm. If you have any doubt, you don't need to get it done yet. You will know. Yeah, there's no doubt. My some of the toughest, strongest men I've ever known in my life, from Ed Cohn to Steve Goggins, they all knew exactly when it had to be done. You you will know. Trust me, you will know. Wow. So it it was that painful, huh? The hip is. Yes. It's twenty four seven. It does not go away, and it's not like a knife pain. It's like the toothache from hell. Yeah. It just does not stop, and you can't. Yeah, it, you would write. Yeah. You contemplate driving into a telephone pole. 
rather than having to. Lose and you it. can't. And the worst too is like you can't sleep at night. Um, I've had no. clients who've had their their hips replaced, and like you can never ever get comfortable, and so you're constantly waking up in the middle of the night, and that will fuck you up. Oh, there's what about knee problems? Dave, did you ever have any knee problems? I've been pretty fortunate with that. Um, early on in high school, I had you know a little bit of scope work done, but nothing. It was just meniscus type stuff. Nothing really major. Right now, um, uh, to last February, I slipped, fell down the stairs, which wasn't a really good thing. It's I, we we have, we have something up here called ice, and it mm. sucks. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. How do you so, pronounce it? It's spelled. It's spelled I. Busted my ass. Wow, sounds dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So I fucked my knee up a little bit, and I went in to see Serrano, and he told me that my knee was also bone on bone. I'm like, oh Christ, no what? What else is not bone on bone? So we're gonna. It's not. It's really non-symptomatic right now. We're gonna try to do that uh, plus uh, blood plasma. Yeah, the PRP. Now we're we're catching things way sooner because now we know what's going on because I had so many MRIs done with my hip because they didn't know if it, is it your hip, is it your upper back, is it your lower back, you know, I we didn't know where the hell it was coming from because everything's fucked up. Um, now we're starting to catch things at a lot earlier phase so I can try to try things like prolotherapy, I can try different things sure. to be able to see what we can do to try to offset the damage and push it back a little bit. But yeah, outside yeah. of that, no, no real. I, not, I'm not a guy that had like 14 knee operations or anything like that. It's, for me, it was shoulders and pecs were the. And worst. who's still trying to squat you know, like 900 pounds? No, I mean it's it, it's pretty interesting if you look at like uh, certain people. Like uh, in the NFL, there were always certain guys that like if one thing affected them, something else. Like I never had any hip or low back problems, uh, you know. But obviously, I, I had knee issues. And then like uh, you know, Kyle Turley, who I played with. He had like terrible hip pain, and they were like treating his hip and told him he had a fucked up hip. And he went to go see another doctor, and they're like, "Your hip is fine. It's the uh, two bulge discs that you have that are sitting on the nerve that are radiating oh, his hip pain." Yeah. So he ended up going in and getting that fixed, and then uh, you know, and then it was his back. So uh, you know, it was pretty interesting. Guys either had like a back or a knee, um, you know, and, and like the back kind of related to the hip. And if the guy had a knee, it was usually, you know, came because he had some ankle issue. And I always, always ask guys, like, oh, your knee's fucked up. Did you ever sprain your ankle? Like, oh, yeah, I rolled the shit out of it like five times. Then my knee started hurting. So it was the whole, like, kind of one joint deal all the way. So I'm always fascinated, like, why, you know, certain guys, like, oh, my hips are fine, but goddamn, my knees are trash. Or you meet a guy that's like, oh, my knees feel pretty good, but goddamn, I need my hips replaced. So it's pretty... You know, I always wonder if it has to do something with maybe the technique or like, you know, longer, shorter torso or joint angle or something that puts more stress on certain joints. I think I think that has some play with it. I also think that the injury history has play to it because it's, you know, for myself, you know, I tore my the first major injury was tearing my left back. Well, that creates that imbalance from the left to the right, which ended up with me having to get a, a right shoulder surgery, which now created an imbalance between the front and the back, which ended up with me having to get the supraspinatus reattached, which left back another imbalance, which led to the next pec. Then that led to another shoulder surgery, which led to me grabbing the bar a little uneven, which led to a torn groin. I mean, you can trace your injuries, you know, and you can track how one, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 yeah. 
it copy, is. Crazy. Copy no, it, it, it's true. I mean, like once something starts. Oh yeah. And like, uh, it's uh, this actually, and Dave, you'd appreciate this. There's a a good friend of mine is a doctor in Caseville, Utah, a guy named Craig Bueller, and uh, I've talked about him before. Callie's actually met him. He's the guy that invented the muscle activation technique, and uh, John Meadows uses it, and um, he's pretty much the foremost expert and invented the whole deal. And he's uh, he's like a he's like a witch doctor, and I remember talking to him about this very deal, and he said, "What happens is, is as injuries happen, muscles end up getting shut down and become inhibited, and then it becomes this whole cascade effect, and then one kind of goes, and then what he his whole uh, therapy is about going back and rebalancing. Um, yeah, certain nerves, n- nerves, and um, muscle yeah. fibers will turn off um, to, to accommodate. Injuries. Yeah, and, and, and then it just becomes this. Uh, and he he said he said the difference between the best athletes in the world and the average athletes is that the best athletes in the world, their bodies allow them to create new movement patterns and you're able to recruit. Like all of a sudden your pec gets shut down. So now all of a sudden I'm going to, I'm going to move my shoulder or shrug, I'm going to shrug my, my shoulder up so that I can get my trap and my upper shoulder in. And he went through this entire deal where I was uh, there for three days and he worked on me and was like, you know what, honestly, uh, at the end of your career when you got hurt you felt like you couldn't do it anymore. It was just that you had just been taking so many injuries that your body just could no longer recruit and do what you needed to do. And after three days of him working on me, I literally popped off the table and as I walked out of the out of his uh, uh, clinic, I remember thinking like, I could get in the car and go play right now. I could run through the side of this wall. That's how good I felt. And the only thing I was sad driving to the airport was uh, that I didn't meet him 10 years earlier in my career. So now whenever I meet young players or I get consulted by anybody who's actually, I tell them, I'm like, dude, get on a plane, go see Doc Bueller in uh, Caseville, Utah. And um, tell him, you're like, hey, man, uh, John Wilborn sent me here. He said what he can do for you. So, And then I, when I talked to Meadows about it, he's like, oh, yeah, I've been seeing uh, – Wanted, you know, a guy that he had worked with. So, I mean, maybe that's something to give you a try. I mean, it really worked. Well, I've, I've been actually, I've been a huge uh, advocate of that. I, I started to see my old physical therapist, and it's, it's hard to find a good physical therapist, so I've always gone back to the same guy. His name is Chad Simmons out of uh, Columbus here. He was there after I tore my first pack, you know, and, and, and throughout, and he's progressed and moved on to his own clinic and went through ART, and now he's in the MAT. I started to see him and going to his practice about six months before my hip replacement, and I've been that that was February 2012, I believe, um, 20 whatever it was a few years ago, two years ago. Um, I've, I've I've gone out every week since. So they weren't able to salvage the hip because it was too far gone. But I have a standing appointment every Wednesday at 9 o'clock, and I very rarely miss a week. Um, the MAT therapy is something that I wish I would have found, like you said, many, many years ago. Because yeah. there, there's some days I knew when I went in there this last Wednesday, I was fucked up. I knew going in when they, as soon as, I could, I, at this point, I can tell them, you don't even bother. You don't even need to bother with half the muscle testing you're going to do. I can tell you right now I'm going to fail this one, this one. As soon as they put the leg in the position and the arm in position, I know it's dude, shut down. Dude, that, that was me. Like He would put me into positions, and as he was putting me into the positions, I would be, I would get a sick feeling like, no, 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 I don't like that position. And he yeah. was like, why is that? I'm like, well, I'm weak in that position. Like um, the one that uh, is pretty funny, like uh, the overextended position, uh, you know, like we're, you know, we, we call it CrossFit girl butt where everybody's really like overextended. And they're lumbar. Um, yeah. And uh, 
like that position for me was always an extremely weak position. And he's like, dude, you can't get in that position because you know muscles in your low back are off. And I remember him putting me into that position, me being like, whoa, 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 or him doing muscle testing on certain things. And uh, actually, I was uh, we benched on Tuesday, and as I left the gym in the car, I actually called Doc Bueller to make an appointment. I'm like, Doc, I, uh, uh, you know, as I was as I was benching, I could feel like. Uh, you know, like you, you just know, like, and, and you you know what I'm talking about. Like all of a sudden you're doing something. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. I, I gotta go see him. So I'm gonna go see him next week. And um, yeah. You know, unfortunately, it's uh, I gotta get on a plane to go to Utah to make it happen. If he was local, I'd probably see him. Shit, every day I'd probably just stop in there and hang around in case he had a free moment. Get a balloon. Yeah. I, your nose. Yeah. I haven't had I haven't had one session yet to where everything was solid. You know. Not yet because it, it, we're still after like two years. We're still trying to get to my freaking shoulder. You know, but we're still messing around with this back and hip and, you know, all this other shit that we're still trying to get locked in. Um, and then I had a, my plantar fasciitis flared up like a motherfucker, so that took, you know, a while to get that tied back in. Um, but slowly it's progressing back up. Then I do something stupid, you know, the stupid shit in the gym, and then I derail, you know, where we're going. Where if I would just listen to what they, you know, don't do stupid shit, we probably could have been working on my shoulder a while ago. It, um, but it took me three that's years. my long-term goal, you know, to get the shoulder range of motion somewhat back. It, it took me three years of seeing him to, to get everything balanced. I mean, just because I couldn't, you know, I would try to go every couple of months. But it took literally three years to get it going. And uh, I remember the when he finished, we got off the table, and I was like, is that it? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, what should I do? He's like, go out and test it and come on back and see how you did. And uh, the one thing that was very interesting, though, is um, I remember I hadn't seen him in a couple months and I came back and he started retesting everything. He said everything that we had done uh, helped. And I was like, oh, well, that's good. And he goes, um, he goes, I can pretty much, uh, based on a lot of your stuff, I can tell you uh, some things about you. And I was like, great. I, I love when people tell me stuff. And he goes, oh, I'm going to tell you how you eat. I was like, oh, really? Tell, tell me how I eat. And he kind of went through this whole diet thing. And uh, he's like, I have, um, over the course of doing this for X amount of years, whenever I, I test and then I retest somebody when they come back, I always ask them, like, well, tell me about your diet. Tell me this. Tell me this. Because I'm always looking for different reasons of why things went held. And he said diet was the biggest deciding factor on whether muscles hold from the treatments or not. And he said that somebody that basically eats, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to use a paleo term, but more of like a primal, like, you know, meat and just basic ingredients and not a lot of processed foods and just not a lot of crap. He goes, honestly, um, has a uh, you know hundred you know much better chance of keeping everything he said. He said he will not work on vegans. He said I, I it's a waste of my time. It's a waste of their money. If uh, if you're a vegan, um, not a single movement that I have done on in 20 years will hold on a vegan. Or a yeah, yeah, sugar throws me out a lot. Yeah. The inflammation from all the sugar. Yeah. If I'm pounding Reese cups and shit like that. So for me, no it's uh, the the one that uh, I'm super allergic to is gluten. So as Bobby will attest on this, oh. <laughs> that, if I, that if I get gluten dosed, it's fucking bad. But uh, when we were in there, he was like, "Hey, I'm gonna you know kind of did some uh, applied kinesiology, which I don't really buy, but he even just he's like, "Hey, I want you to you know hold this in your mouth." I'm like, "What is it?" He's like, "It's a bagel." I'm like, "Ooh," and instantly I was weak in everything. And he's like, "Dude," he goes, "You just have an allergy," and he goes, "It causes inflammation, but sugar." He goes, "Man, more of a." very simple kind of like primal diet. He goes, Just uh, hold this bagel in your mouth? Yeah, he gave me a bagel and I ate it. And literally I was fucking weak. <laughs> yeah, and at that point I, I was like, 
I was like, fucking bagels are my are my weak food. They're probably yeah. <laughs> they're your kryptonite. Bagels are your kryptonite. Uh, yeah, I, I used to I, I used to go to a guy all the time for that applied kinesiology, and it's like voodoo shit, man. Yeah, and then once we get everything tested, and, and and you're all back, I can remember many times. You know, you go through there, and I got this stupid glandular I'm holding on the top of my tongue, you know, and everything's strong, and then they get everything fixed. I can remember sitting in my car thinking, and then I would go to turn, you know, like to to pull out. And my back would pop a little bit. And I'd think, oh, fuck. I just broke everything he just spent an hour fixing. Um, but I was, I was scared to do anything. Do you, do you buy the AK stuff? Like, I, I, uh, like, I, mean, I don't know, man. It didn't. It, <laughs> okay, it certainly so. didn't help me. We're, we're the same I, never, I never bought into it. I, I, I don't believe it. But, like, what was interesting with Doc, with Doc Bueller, he didn't really do the that kind of stuff, but he was able to kind of, like, be, be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to. I'm going to do this form of muscle testing, and I'm going to do the, the MAT stuff, and there's going to be certain things that are going to weaken it. And then I'm going to read your aura, and that's when I was like, all right, well, D-Bueler, no, 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 no. So I believe that there are certain people in the world that sense that have extra senses. In, in and they're dogs. Yeah. yeah. Fucking dogs know who's <laughs> a good person who's a bad person. And they fucking do. This happens. And I believe that there's certain people, like, I'm sure, Kelly, you have been out and met some fucking creepers and been like, that guy's creepy. How do you know that he's creepy? <laughs> From their Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> From their Tinder profile. And Dave, I'm, I'm sure you have too. I've met people where I've been like, you know what, uh, like, I just... It's called a goatee. and it's something pretty. bad about you that I don't want, want you to be around, and I sure as hell would introduce you to my wife and kids. So, like, I think like people have extrasensory perception. I think like we know like good and bad. And uh, Doc Bueller is just one of those guys where he's like, you know what? Like I'm able to kind of like sense having worked with people, sense like what he called auras, or just like us feeling off of people. And he's hey, the like, thing is, people he was that I don't want to work with. Well, I asked him. Well, I, I asked him, I'm like, are there people that you won't work with? He goes, Yeah, I've I've had people walk in, and if I get a bad feeling of them, um, I I won't work with them. I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. He goes, you know, j just like, I, I, and I didn't really buy it, but like he said it, I'm like, it makes here's total the, sense. Here's a cool thing. I grilled, I grilled him a little bit when I met him, and I've never met a more calm, confident person. And he, he not once got defensive. And I was being very tactful, but he, he never once got defensive. And he just, he just basically tried to explain his process to me. And I had nothing but the utmost respect because, like John said, and like. You know, I got from from I got the phrase from my coach Tim Enriquez, but that that you can't argue with the results. Yeah. So if something works and whatever juju he's using, yeah. like that's that's fine, you know. Well, I, I remember last time I was there, like Thora Birch and a couple other Olympians were all sitting in there. And you're like kind of sitting around, and you're like, shit, there's like three gold medalists sitting in here, and me, I'm like, fuck, obviously this is uh, if people are traveling to Caseville, Utah to come see you know Doc Bueller, and he's got right. like a two year wait, so in the middle of nowhere, like. Yeah, Shoe, like some Shoe fucking, Jackson yeah. style. Yeah, and, and uh, the guys, like, yeah, I mean, it, it's he's he's pretty pretty amazing. And um, uh, at my darkest moment, where I thought everything, you know, there wasn't a fucking doctor that could help me, uh, Doc Bueller was able to, you know, fix my knee Scoop and, you and up fix in his some arms. shit. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Well, I, I, think, you know, I think the key. I think the key takeaway here is that um, when you're when you're competing at a, at a higher level or you're really really serious about what you're doing when if training wise you have to take responsibility for your own restoration you know you can't just go to the doctor and have the doctor say well just rest it 
Yeah. You know, and, and a lot will do that. So there, there's absolutely nothing wrong with looking outside the box. And if it's applied kinesiology, MAT, ART, you know, or any other, you know, hundreds of therapies that are out there, you need to take responsibility for trying to figure out what's going to work best for you. You know, because what works for you might not work for somebody else. And um, for me, I mean, a lot of people will tell me MAT is full of shit, and I'll argue it to death. And you're wrong. I, it works great for me, but it may not work for you. But maybe it doesn't work because you didn't go long enough, or maybe it just doesn't work. You know, but don't sit here and bitch and complain to me about how fucked up you are if you're not even doing anything Yeah, to try, had, to, try to get better. Yeah, we had someone at a seminar recently asked me, um, you know, what if what if you what if you're telling your athlete and they're like a high end athlete and you're telling them, you know, the nutrition protocol they should be following, the sleep, uh, diet, any any rehab type things that they need to be doing um, or recovery methods or habits they need to be implementing and they're absolutely not doing it. And I and I said, you know, like then then they have no one to blame but themselves. You know, you have to wash your hands with those situations and just say, I've given you the tools. And if you're not willing to put in the effort and you need, you know, you're, you're suddenly like your ego is so big that you don't think you need to do that. You're stuff. talking 1950s values here. This is the internet age where, I know. where I want everything what I want. is somebody else's problem. Yeah. yeah. And that there's going to be an answer on the 47th page of that message board. It's going to secretly. <laughs> you know, here's, here's an interesting thing that you bring that up. When, when I finally got to the, the, the hip specialist that I, that I knew and, we vetted out, Serrano helped me, Dr. Eric Serrano helped me vet this guy out. The first thing he told me when I walked in the office is, "Don't I don't want you to read anything on the internet about this. That was the first thing he said. You know, and he says, if you have questions, you know, I will give you patients, I will give you other doctors, I'll give you other resources, I'll give you pamphlets, I'll give you whatever you need, but I don't, you don't need to go out and do all that. He says, if you do anything, the only thing I want you to do is to go watch a YouTube video of what the actual procedure looks like. Yeah. And I did that, and I said, I ain't reading anything about this shit. Was this the guy that actually uh, removes the hip where he has to go through the head of your penis? <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you what. They, they, you, you don't, you don't want to watch a video of a hip replacement no. or a knee replacement. No, it's, I, I've seen both of them. It's, it's brutal. Terrible. It's brutal looking. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a like, mallet. There's a fucking chisel and a saw. Yeah. It's like, did you just break that fucking leg? And, well, yeah, you got to pop it out. And oh, my God. Ugh. I can't think about it. Yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty cool that they, that he sort of, like, prefaced it that way because he knew he's probably had so many patients come back giving giving themselves, like, somehow anointing themselves, like, doctorates of uh, WebMD and Wikipedia. Yeah. And, so, uh, but before we got on the air, uh, Dave and I, who not only met shit a bunch, a bunch of years ago, at a dinner in San Diego when he was giving a, a, a private seminar for CrossFit HQ. But we actually have an, another friend and guest of the podcast, Tom Inkladon, and uh, uh, we were trading Inkladon stories. And um, my one of my favorite Inkladon stories was I, I uh, Tom calls me up and goes, hey, there's this doc down in uh, Florida that's uh, removing bone marrow from your hip, and he'll spin it down and kind of do this kind of modified stem cell deal, and he'll inject it back into your knee. So I had knee surgery and then uh, a few days later got on a plane and went down to Florida and actually had this procedure done. And so Tom was telling me about the procedure. He goes, oh, it's really basic. They go in there. You lay down. He aspirates your hip. They pull it out. And, uh, and you know. Bing, bang, boom. And then they inject it. And I'm like, really? So it was pretty bang, easy. Bang, it was completely painless. Mm -hmm. took 10 minutes. It was simple. Everything's fine. I'm like, great. So I hobble in on crutches. I get to this, this clinic. 
I go in, I meet the doctor, he goes through the whole deal, and um, all of a sudden he like puts me on the table and he like kind of numbs me up. All of a sudden I see him uh, tell the nurse something, and she goes over and gets him a stool, and he stands up on the stool and pulls out a uh, looks like a massive chisel, almost like a, a fucking railroad spike. <laughs> and I look up and he has this fucking hammer. And he's about to, like, you know, like Van Helsing me, fucking, like, uh, basically drive a stake through my fucking ass. And I look back, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he's like, what? I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm aspirating your hip. He's like, I have to break through the hip bone to be able to get the, to get the marrow out. So I'm like, holy fuck. So this guy's got this chisel, and all of a sudden he takes this industrial hammer and just like, bam, and cracks me three times. Fucking aspirates, breaks through my hip, draws the marrow out. I'm going to vomit. And then fucking takes it, and I get off the table, and I'm like, fucking Inclodon, you motherfucker, right? <laughs> so the guy injects it back, and so I, as, I'm, as I'm leaving there with this fucking hole in my ass. A uh, broken hip. And a broken hip. Uh, as I'm driving, like, I call Inky on the phone, and I'm like, you motherfucker, dude. That guy staked me like a vampire. And he's like, he's like what? what? And, and, he, and he was like, well, yeah. Like, I said he aspirated the hip. And I was like, you didn't tell me that he's going to fucking stake me like a vampire. And Tom's like, well, what was the big deal? Uh, he did it, you know. And it was like, uh, and, and so that's why I always joke, like, whenever I send anybody to Inky or I go see him or I talk to him, I have, like, the Inky filter where I'm like, okay, this guy's is, crazy. is this going to fucking end with me getting staked like fucking, <laughs> like a vampire in the Van Helsing? Right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, like, just typical fucking Inkledon. He's like, what? It was no big deal. I was, you know, I'm like, I would lose my shit. Dude, dude. It, my dude, stomach is so queasy just Dude, dude, dude it's laying there on this table. You got your, like, your pants down. And I look back and I see this dude with literally, like, it, it was like a like a yeah, massive spike. fucking spike and a hammer. Oh my god! And I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? He's like, masquerading your hand. I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> just calm, calmly, calmly says it to you like you're the crazy one. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I I had flown from just... California to Florida, <laughs> right, to get this fucking treatment because Inky was like, oh, you got to get this treatment, and then uh. You don't just was... aspirate a man's hip. You you talk to him. Yeah. You get to know well, him no, a little like bit. Well, no, like you should bring out the tools and be <laughs> like, warm hey. up to it. So I was at Home Depot. I picked up a new hammer and a fucking chisel uh, slash a, uh, a fucking iron stake, and I'm going to drive Thor, it through your fucking Thor's ass. hammer. <laughs> and this dude fucking, I mean, he has to, and as you, as Dave would know, the hip bone is pretty fucking thick, especially on somebody who's been looking weight for 25 years. The guy's like, this hip's uh, a lot thicker than most people. I won't. I'm like, who do you do this on? He's like, old people? I'm like, yeah, no shit. You can probably break them with a fucking pencil. So that's my Well, did it work? When, it, when the smoke cleared, was it worth it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, so, like, Dave's hit, my knee was fucked up to the point where, like, I couldn't sleep because if I moved or rolled over, my knee would, uh, literally, okay, like, it, it would wake me up. Like, it was, it was, like, one of those things where it was so bad that it was, uh, at the forefront of my mind in every single part of my life. So they put the marrow and, in. And, um, so, yeah, they took the marrow out, they spun it down, they injected it back, and I, I had gone and had my knee cleaned up by Dr. Stedman, and, um, then had flown to have that injected back, and then uh, the thing that was, that helped, but I think what really catalyst it all, and this is where I, I started, like, I, I was never one of those people that, like, leaves in fate, and I think, I always think, like, you make your own fate, but I just so happened on the flight back, as I get on, I'm, like, crutching through, and I sit down next to this guy, and he looks at me and goes, oh, what's wrong with your knee? I'm like, oh, I had knee surgery, and I'm explaining it to him, and he goes, oh, I, uh, I, I work for this company that has this machine called Bionic Care. And uh, I was out here on a sales meeting, um, you know, and, and it, it helps regenerate knees. Do you want me to tell you about it? And I was like, yeah, I got six hours. It's fucking hearing. 
So the guy pulls out this presentation, and he was the rep for Bionicare, and what it is is a set of pads that they put on the knee and drives low-level current. And so the guy shows me these before and after pictures where they like, if you leave this thing on for 2,000 hours, it will remodel your knee. And I'm looking at this fucking thing. I'm like, this is incredible. And he goes, oh, it's FDA approved. And I'm like, you guys approved all this to the FDA? And he goes, You're oh, like, yeah. You could eat it? And, and, and he, goes, um, he, goes, he goes, oh, yeah, and the NFL has a uh, – we, we did a deal with the NFL to give these to NFL players. And I'm like, are you fucking shitting me? So he gives me all his contact. I go in, I call, and they were free to NFL players, and not a single person had ever told me, and I've never met an NFL player that knew about it. And so I ordered this uh, this bionic care system, put it on my knee, and between the surgery, the stem cell stuff with the, the fucking Van Helsing procedure, and then wearing this bionic care, uh, all of a sudden, like, my knee stopped hurting, and I went back to training and everything and have not had any problems. So but I to think be was, fair, isn't everything free for NFL players? You can't be that butthurt that you well, no, hear about this thing. Well, no, but, like, here's the deal. Well, if you know, they, they, they get free concussions, free <laughs> yeah. You get free lap dances. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let, let's see. The, the, the price they pay is 10 years off their life. Help me out here, John. What are the other stats? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's there, there's some other good stuff. I just can't remember them because my short-term memory is gone. Oh, uh, but I, like, you know, I swear, John, you, you meet, like, you meet everybody on airplanes. Like you have a story. You, I'm, I'm surprised that there, you haven't met like. Uh, well, I sat next to Jesus. Who can just like you know totally revamp your whole life. Well, I, I um, so the one thing I'll be very fortunate to say is, uh, for you know whatever reason, maybe just luck or or whatever it is, or playing in the NFL, just having been in certain situations, I've had the opportunity to really hang out and befriend and be around some really cool eclectic people, and. Uh, you know, having, uh, you know, as a, you know, people still bust my ass on it, but I was a rhetoric major in college at Berkeley, which was like uh, argumentative English philosophy. And so I read, and so I always had these like kind of pillars of greatness in my mind of like people, the idea, like I always wanted to like sit next to that person on an airplane or if I ever got to meet that person at a cocktail party. And so when I get the opportunity to meet somebody or like that or get put into that situation, I've always kind of, you know, seized the day a little bit. And then the other thing too is uh, I don't like, do you guys remember that movie with Jim Carrey where it was like Yes Man or something where he just said yes to everything? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. somebody, like, like, think about how much shit that, like, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like getting out of bed. Like, my motto was like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Let's let's give it a try. Like, hey, do you want to go here? Yeah, sure. You know, like, it was just always this idea, and I never knew uh, what I was, what trouble I was going to get myself into. But, I knew, a, but I knew that if I stayed at home and did nothing, there was no trouble. I will give, was going to happen. Yeah. I will yeah. give John like a lot of credit on that actually, because as much as these opportunities present themselves through the NFL, like even post post that, like just in my experience with you, like you will not say no to something. I mean, you can have all the opportunity in front of you. Like you can provide someone with plenty of opportunities, but if they are too afraid. Or they don't make the time to like like further their knowledge or try something and, new. And the other single defining factor you have to ask Dave this is don't be a fucking douchebag. Yeah. You know, like, okay. if you meet somebody, like, don't be a fucking douchebag. Like, walk over and be like, uh, you know, like, I, you know, uh, had the opportunity to meet Dave years ago, and then I got to see him again, and, you know, great to see you. How are you? You know, like, go over, be cordial, uh, and actually be a real person. Don't be a fucking comic book character. Like, don't have an ego, and don't be a fucking douchebag. Like, you get so much farther actually, like, being open and receptive instead of, like, having a fucking personal agenda that I have to get across at all times, which drives me fucking crazy. 
What, uh, what I tell people about this is to take the blinders off because the opportunities are always all around you. And if you really think about it, how many great opportunities or how many great influencers or great people, you know, have you found in your life that you sought out to find? Yeah. Compared to how many people just happen to be in the right place at the right time, and it seems totally by accident. But the guy was sitting right next to him on an airplane. Yeah. And literally, you know, like, I... I could have very easily been like, hey, fuck you. And I was like, you know what? I got six hours. Now, if the guy had said, hey, do you have term life insurance? Can I give you a six-hour presentation? I probably would have been like, mm. But, like, the guy, like, and then the the best is uh, that thing not only has helped me, but I've told so many other, uh, you know, successful people and, like, you know, like, all of a sudden, like, shit, my, my mom the other day, uh, which is, I, this is a thing I was going to, I was trying to get back to when you were talking about genetics on those, uh, on uh, joint injuries, um, I, I believe genetics is such a key factor. Like my mom uh, slipped and she ended up tearing some cartilage in her knee and she's in her 70s and the doctor went in and her joints are actually perfect. So she has no arthritis, nothing. And the doctor was like kind of confused and he's like, either you have pretty good genetics or you've lived the life of a veal. <laughs> and uh, my mom's like, uh, actually I was an athlete, I did this. And he's like, uh, these are probably the best joints I've ever seen on a 70 plus year old person. So he's like, yeah, obviously have some pretty good genetics. And my, you know, but my mom also takes no medication. She's never had any problems. The same with my dad until recently. He's never took any medication or had any issues and he's in his 70s. So I think genetics is probably <laughs> a factor, you know, because I mean, I've run into people that were in their 30s that have had double knee replacements that, that never did anything on one. Yeah. So See, going back to the going back to your plane ride, you could have been the dude that just sat down thinking, "Oh my God, I just had a spike driven in my ass. Fuck this! Throw the headphones on and just tune everybody out, and just fly home," and then completely missed out on that opportunity that was inches, actually not even inches away, because on a plane seat you guys are sharing space. Sure. So the opportunity that was sitting right in your lap, you could have completely missed that just by putting on a pair of headphones and yeah. just listening to music on the way home. No, I, I think people, uh, NFL players are really uh, notorious for this. They're almost kind of like agoraphobes in a lot of ways where like, oh, everybody wants to be around me and like everybody wants something from me. And it's like, for the most part, like, you know, uh, you know, people like, you know, legitimately are sitting on a plane, they sit next to you, they want to talk to you, or you meet people in life and like they're legitimately interested and you're like, oh, you know what? And it's, uh, it's just interesting. I've, I've realized the, the, you know, if I, you know, and what, what's hilarious is you said that you wrote that uh, uh, under the bar book for your kids. I, I'm actually doing the same thing for my daughters. It's actually uh, um, about my values and like what they should look for as they like you know start to get older and, and guys and like in life. And I started kind of putting together this kind of how you know father's advice to to his daughters. And uh, um, the you know thing is like you know like you know be like just you know be able to to listen to everybody and be able to like you know, formulate your own opinions and actually it's okay to have your own opinions that are different than the than the herd and um, you know it just kind of I don't know it just kind of blew me away a little bit but I've been very very fortunate to be put in some incredible situations and and out of it I have some really cool stories these guys ask me stories all the time and they're like how the fuck did that happen I'm like I don't know dude I just <laughs> said I said let's fucking go and next thing you know we were there so yeah and then I was asking myself what the hell did I do <laughs> yeah, that was uh, yeah, there was yeah, many of those situations. But yeah. I mean, you know, shit, if you know, like when Dave gave his uh, powerlifting seminar uh, seminar for uh, CrossFit HQ, they invited me to go, and yeah, I mean, at, at the time, I 
I, you know, had known about Westside and I knew who Dave was. I didn't really know who Elite FTS was and, you know, uh, showed up and went to dinner, which was kind of like the, the Godfather. Uh, it was almost like a dinner from the Godfather. And then, you know, <laughs> got to go and listen and hear a lot of cool stories. Having never trained out at Westside, it made me want to, like, reach out and actually go and, you know, search out and go out and hang out with Louie a little bit. So it was, uh, it, it was, it, it was enlightening. And, and, like, I always think, like, if somebody's been the best in the world and is at the top of their game, there is something I can learn from them. I might, you know, like I always want to be a student. I never want to become the guru on the mountain. I always want to be the guy trying to learn. And I think that's, uh, um, you know, at least that's how I want to live my life. I think when you reach the guru status, you're like one of those dudes on, uh, you see on YouTube, those like Kung Fu masters that like dudes run them and they nod their head and the guy falls down because he's like trying to like keep his master's ego intact. That's John's latest favorite video yeah, that so, I've watched numerous times. So yeah, I'm like, oh, Kelly, it's on again. And she's like, why do you watch this? I'm like, it's because on that's the fucking, because <laughs> that's the people on the internet. Like it's just. That's how YouTube works. When you press play, it <laughs> magically plays. Um, so Dave, I, uh, I'm just curious as to what you have coming this year, next year. What do you, uh, you know, what are you, what are you pushing out there in terms of um, anything that you've been writing or anything uh, with the seminars you've run? Actually, this year's is going to be a lot better from from my own content standpoint because last year was spent redeveloping the website that we have, so we had to completely revamp everything from top to bottom. The website so, looks great too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's so, yeah we're still. We still got a few things that we need to work out, you know. And there's some things navigation-wise that aren't exactly where things look better in testing sometimes than doing in the real world. So we still got some tweaking on that, but it's not going to take anywhere near as much time as last year did of, of my own time as far as that. So I've been getting back to writing more articles and so forth. So I nice. actually I just I just got one that we should be putting up this weekend on. Uh, I'm taking a different approach because it's been probably a year since I've really written an article where now I'm just I'm, I'm what I'm writing is is I'm looking I'm looking for things that like if you do a search on how to build mass and this is the article I got that's coming out three three ways to build mass if you do a search on how to build muscle mass and you read 20 fucking articles you're gonna read shit like do compound movements eat more Eat more, um, rest, and, and I'm reading this, and I'm like, drink more water. I'm reading this, and I'm like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? Like, we, first off, we've read this a hundred times, but rest and drink water. That shit kind of happens on its own, right? You get thirsty, you're gonna drink water. At a certain point in time, you're gonna fucking fall over and sleep. So why not add breathe? You need to breathe. Take a piss, <laughs> shit, eat, and drink water. If you so, want to build uh, muscle mass, these are five key things you need to do every day. Well, you so, know what? They're key. They're key to do every day just to fucking survive. Dude, on the sleep thing, I, I uh, uh, like I did a presentation for the uh, at AHS, which was the Ancestral Health Symposium out at Harvard, and I. Uh, it was a cool deal because I was the only non like PhD to speak, and so they invited me on this deal about how to like use like more of like a paleoprimal approach for strength and and doing. And I talked about you know uh, just reducing inflammation and kind of some stuff AJ had done, and then also I had interviewed Stan Efferding because Stan's diet was pretty basic and you know like not real supplement based and drank whole milk. And I remember talking to Stan about you know when he uh, won his pro card for the master stuff, and he said he was sleeping like 11 to 12 hours a day. 
and I, he was, I think he was trained with like Flex Wheeler or something, and so he was all excited. He was going to like learn all these secrets and everything, and they would like in the gym for like 50 minutes, 60 minutes, and then they would, uh, he'd be like, all right, we're, we're out, and he's like, where are we going? He's like, we got to go home and sleep, and he's like, they slept for three hours, and got back and trained, and he goes, if the workouts were going too long, they'd, they'd go and sleep, and he goes, I was sleeping like towards the end of it, like 13, 14 hours a day, and he goes, I was just growing, and I'm like, I was like, that's incredible, and uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, it was really the secret, and I'm like, but I don't know anybody that could, like, like, what is, like, you can't have a job and sleep 14 hours a day, yeah, like, how do you I mean, implement that? You're, yeah, I'm like, I, I mean, I, I realize you're, you know, pro bodybuilder, so your whole life is focused on this, but, like, that's, you know, if you posted that out, that, like, hey, there's 24 hours in a day, I sleep 14 hours, so you have 10 hours to not only work, get all your work done, eat, do everything, I'm like, that's fucking crazy but so Dave what's what's your uh, what's your spin going to be on that well the the I guess the, the the other thing I wanted to put out there which is kind of funny which didn't make it in the article was every, the, the the other key component to gaining mass is you got to use progressive overload yeah. they always talk about fucking Milo and the cow you know and it's I'm like if a fucking cow you know my it's it's, it's the story may not even be fucking real to begin with and so anyhow, my spin on it is, yes, those things are all given. They're all a given. All right? Everybody knows that. So why is everybody regurgitating the same stupid shit over and over that everybody already knows? So I, the, the article is about how to increase weight. So I'm hitting it, or, or muscle mass or so forth. So I'm hitting it from a little bit different angle, how I'm going to hit. I did one on strength uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm hitting it from a different perspective to where if somebody really is doing everything they're supposed to be doing because there's 900 fucking articles telling them to do the basic shit and they can't gain weight anymore, what are some options that they have? Yeah. Well, one option, one option they have is they could try actually lowering their weight, so yeah. losing weight because the rebound that you get on a weight cut is typically going to take you heavier than what you've ever been in your life. So if you dedicate yourself to actually trying to drop body fat for 8 to 10 weeks and then let your body naturally rebound back up, you become more anabolic and you, be, you go into a greater growth state than what you were to begin with. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff that I want to put out there is the stuff that would be relayed you know, to, to people in gyms who are really struggling and stuck. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Here's one option. You know, another option would be stop trying to gain weight, but... Try to actually just hold your weight, you know, because I've never known a power lifter or a wrestler or anybody who competed in a weight class. When they were at the top of their class, the hardest thing for them to ever do in the world was to stay within their weight class, to be able to make a weight cut. Because they're always trying to fight to stay there. Their diet cleans up. The, 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 the quality of the foods increase. And they're not trying to gain weight, but it's happening because they have the right nutritional structure to be able to grow. Um, that's, that's super interesting, like, approaches. Um, actually, I think it's pretty interesting what you're saying about the cutting and then as you sort of rebound back up. Of course, that's like a longer approach, which most people are instant gratification. But I think it's – you could take totally, like, a fun spin on it because, I mean, fuck – 
you want to gain weight, why don't you do what everyone else does who's like middle-aged and, and is gaining weight rapidly. They have a couple kids. Dude. They fucking let themselves go. Dude. They have beers every night. Dude, that's the... Uh, They're going to bachelor parties. I was telling Callie last Sunday, I, I went to a little kid's birthday party, and I'm sitting there with the girls. And, birthday cake. And, and I, I'm looking at all these dads whose like fucking guts and tits are just hanging out, and I'm looking at these dudes, and my wife's like... They're called moves, This is a pretty, Yeah, it's a pretty bad-looking bunch. I mean... Like, I'm just going to give you a tip. Don't wear a tight-fitting Lululemon shirt if, like, you're in pretty bad shape. That shit will show everything. But I'm we're right sitting here. there looking at it, you. and I'm, like, thinking to myself, I'm, like, they're over there, dudes, just housing burritos, red velvet <laughs> cake, drinking, like, a like pounding, like, That's seven nice. apple juice boxes, which looked fucking delicious. Don't get me wrong. But I'm, like, hey, man, you want to put on weight? Red velvet cake, burritos, and juice boxes. That shit will put on weight. the stress of a sedentary job. Yeah. Yeah, when I was... When I ran into that issue years ago, it was Jay and Blakely that kind of helped me through this. But, I mean, there's a whole protocol that he gave me. But the first thing that he told me is, why are you making this so hard? Every 40-year-old in the world just gains weight by accident. You know, it's just, right. And he, he came straight out and said, you know, look, most, most America is fat and overweight. Right. So it can't be that difficult if you really think about it. Just care less like, about, like, what you're putting in your body. You got a point, you know. Yeah, and then, that that is actually my first tip is you know to just eat, you know, yeah. eat, eat junk you know fill. You still got to have quality calories, but just pack in the the shitty calories to be able to. You, you get you still need a calorie surplus. Dude, but, uh, Dave, Dave Tate made his bones by eating like the fucking. The, the bad stuff like I like like that's what I remember like reading the most being like Dave being like well what was the diet like uh wasn't it like two pots of coffee and like uh like uh, uh for breakfast with like um uh, those Danishes or something like did you eat like a God dozen and, like, bad. Like, like like Dave like like the, it was either on a lead or it was a T Nation but it was like an example of like what you'd eat on a day and I remember reading it and being like mother of God Dream. that dude no, it was bad it was bad it all started it all started, yeah, JM's advice was for me to eat um, three McDonald's breakfast sandwiches with a hash brown and three packages of mayonnaise mm -hmm. every morning. And then for lunch, I was to have uh, two servings of Chinese food with extra MSG. This is the most heinous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, for, for dinner, a large pizza with olive oil pulled wow. all over it. And then every hour, because blood sugar, controlling blood sugar was important, every hour I was supposed to eat a Hershey bar. And oh. even if I couldn't chew it, it was the best choice because all you had to do is throw it in and let it melt its way down. Mm. You know, so this way, you know, according to JM, I kept my blood sugar steady. It was high, but it was steady all mm. day because it well, never yeah, dropped. Yeah, that way you just get hyperinsulinemia and you get, like, massive amounts of back fat, which translates into body weight gain. Yes, so I, I gained weight. You know, I was able to, to break out of the 275s and move into the 308. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. From, <laughs> How did that happen? From there, yeah, from there my diet just went to all hell because it stabilized, and then I'd bounce between 280 and have to push it up to 38, uh, 312 throughout the year. And this went on for years and years and years, and then after I retired, and this is where the T-Nation thing comes in that you read, after I retired, I'm like, okay, I'm 310 pounds. I need to get this shit off. You know, I need to, to get lean. And then I started asking myself, man, I wonder what I would look like if I tried to be a bodybuilder again. Because every 300-pound guy thinks they're carrying 280 pounds of lean body mass, which is complete <laughs> fucking bullshit. You know? And you don't realize that until you diet down 
and you're like, oh my god, I'm I'm 240 and I'm still not shredded. What the hell happened to the What the hell happened to the 280 that I had? You know, yeah, maybe, maybe 282 pounds of lean muscle, right? Yeah, then I got Justin Harris whispering in my ear years later saying, you know, Ronnie Coleman won the first Mr. Olympia at 240. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah. fuck. You know, but I, I couldn't diet, man. Every time I tried to eat clean, I'd throw up. So I'd eat breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> I would eat breakfast. It would be like eggs and fucking Ezekiel bread with, you know, yeah. whatever fucking wholesome butter it was. And two hours later, I'd be vomiting or I'd have this really bad headache. I'm told vomiting is a, is a decent way to cut weight. Yeah, we've been talking yeah. about that. But <laughs> if so I made area. it to lunch, if I made it to lunch, which was chicken and rice, you know, it's it's bodybuilding stuff, so chicken and rice. Mm-hmm. Then I would throw up the chicken and rice, and this shit kept going on. And then it feels so I'd go to McDonald's, and fuck, boom, immediately I felt awesome. Yeah. Okay, I feel better now. I had my fucking Big Mac. Everything's cool. I'll try again tomorrow. So tomorrow, first two meals, I puke. This goes on for like three weeks. So I end up getting a hold of John Berardi, and I call him on the phone. And the conversation was more along the lines of, John, I got a problem. You know, Dave, what can I help you with? I think I'm allergic to eating healthy. Dave, can you please repeat what, can you please repeat what you just said? <laughs> I said, John, I think I'm allergic to eating healthy. And there was silence. It's like he didn't know what to think. You know, is this guy calling to fuck with me? What's, uh, and I explained, you know, what was going on. I said, something's not right because every time I try to eat something healthy, I'm throwing it up. And um, so he, he worked with me on my diet a little bit with digestive enzymes and some other things we had to throw in there. But That's amazing. My, Your body was... was... It was so conditioned. Yeah, so acclimated well, to that I, other I, I diet. I was going to say, a steady diet of Bob Evans and that fucking Chinese food place that Louie took me uh, would fucking kill anybody. So I'm amazed that you're... Oh, like, yeah. So, so what happened is, I think from just being inundated with that, that you somehow morphed in like uh, like you had a genetic adaptation to be able to survive that food, and then when you went away from that, you got sick. So. What an interesting study. That's crazy. Uh, well, I have to say, Dave... Um, We've officially had everyone else that was on this podcast drop off because they have other obligations. <laughs> Fuck those assholes. Meanwhile, we're just hanging out here. Um, we're probably going to split this into a two-parter because there's so much good content and so much good storytelling. Um, I can't personally thank you enough because I was uh, I was really jealous that these guys got to go to Ohio for the Elite FTS thing. We had a seminar in Oklahoma at the time, but um, just even through the podcast, I'm, I'm stoked to have met you, and I'm, I really appreciate your time sharing all your knowledge with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, and also we do a, uh, a playlist. So we load up uh, like a. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah, I'll send something. Yeah, we need I a, about that. Yeah, we need a, a few or, songs. Or you, or you can just give us a few songs. I mean, Wendler's was like fucking Angel of Death, Murder, Death, Kill, Rape, Murder, Jim, Death, yeah, Kill, was, Angel of Death. Yeah, uh, stuff I'd never heard yeah, of. Yeah, drinking blood intravenously. I mean, I was like, well, I've never heard anything. I really, I mean, the, I really don't pay attention. You know, I've, ne- yeah. I've never really paid attention. I mean, when I was at Westside, it was ACDC or whatever like that. I mean, it's what what I I mean, it's it's kind of embarrassing in a way. But what I do now, if I have my headphones on and I'm getting ready for a set that I know is going to be something really fucked up, um, I put on something like Christina Aguilera or uh, Alicia Keys. That you know, something you. that what? No, something that I know is going to drive everybody else fucking crazy. 
Yeah. I like it. I like so, it. Because they're, they're, they're going to be looking at me like, what the hell is he listening to? And then I pull it off. I'm like, here, look. And they're listening to Alicia Keys. They're like, yeah. this guy's fucking whacked. You know, Perfect. and that's what I want. You Perfect. know, so yeah, put on a playlist. Is, yeah, on a playlist. So I'll send a playlist. It's going to be all fucked up. Perfect. But, um, that's like, even better. I can't wait for people to click on the Spotify and be like, Dave T? Because it mind fucks Baby Hit else. Me One More Time by Britney Spears? Are, are well, they like Chris, Yeah, Christina Aguilera's got a song called, called Body of Me. Now, I interpret it completely different than what she's saying. To me, it's like all my, part, all my, all my fucking joints are falling off, so mm-hmm. I need to embrace the fact that they're falling off and go really fucking hard right now because yeah. tomorrow my arm might fall off. Mm. So. I think this has been um, the most telling point of the entire conversation <laughs> we've had today. I, I, I loved, I love, I do, man. I love to put stuff on the radio where people are like, "What the fuck?" This is the, this is the good stuff. For? This is the it's stuff so, I'm not going to read on T Nation, so I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> I'm like, if you really need this shit playing on the radio for you to be able to do something, then you're not that fucking strong to begin with. So yeah. we go over and put on, you know, Waylon Jennings from 1950. You know, it's, it's got to come from within. So um, I'll, I'll put some really stupid shit up there. So. Awesome. We'll send it over. I'm going to, yeah, I'll shoot you an email to remind you. But, uh, hey, thanks again. And uh, we look forward to having you on again real soon. Thanks, Dave. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into part two with Dave Tate. Next week, we celebrate our 100th episode as the crew comes together to talk about the conclusion of 22 Jack Street and reminisce on 100 great podcasts. If you have an idea for a guest, show theme, or general inquiry, we want to hear from you. Head over to www.powerathlethq.com backslash contact. Until number 100, bye! Bye! Train and I'm right on track. I-